Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am committed to interviewing people who will both inspire and challenge you. And my guest today will certainly do both of those. If you enjoy my show, please be sure to rate it and review it on your favorite podcast platform. My podcast is brought to you by my company. We are the publisher of software tools and books for improving the way people communicate with each other at work. And you can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I am really thrilled to have as my guest, Laban Ditchburn. Laban, welcome to my show. Meredith Bell, it is a delight and my pleasure. And for those listening or watching this, if this is the first episode you got your hands on, you need to subscribe and like and rate this phenomenal podcast series because I have personally been affected positively by a number of the former guests that Meredith has had on this podcast. So thank you again for having me. Oh, well, that is a great kickoff. Thank you, Laban. And of course, Laban's name is unique. I had never known a Laban before, and I believe you had said that there is, you've never run across another one in your life. Is that right? That is correct. I've never met another Laban. I have heard anecdotally of a couple, and uh, you'll be pleased to know that it means a couple of things in a couple of different languages. Uh, it means to show fight in the main Filipino language, but uh, more importantly, it means uh, yogurt in Arabic, and mm. it explains why I'm so cultured. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> well, that's <clears throat> that's a, a great introduction. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a formal one before we really jump in, because I want people to know more about who you are. Now, Laban is a motivational speaker. He's an author of a new book. He's a coach and he's a proud carnivore as well as an avid cricket fan. So how's that for quite a range? <laughs> he is also passionate about health, well-being and personal growth. And he uses his own experiences as fuel. And I have to say, Laban is one of those people who is truly seen it all and done it all, especially when it comes to addictions from, I think I have this right, alcohol, sex, gambling, drugs, and negative self-talk. And he now embodies really, I think, the word transformation in a way that's so different than those who've made more gradual changes in time. He's the host of a really great podcast. I'm going to toot your horn, um, <clears throat> Laban, because it's such a wonderful podcast. It's called Become Your Own Superhero. And he has interviewed such an interesting range of people from the authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul. He's had both Mark Victor Hansen on and Jack Hanfield as guests. 
He also brings in health experts to talk about physical mental health. So it's a really interesting range of guests. And Laban is such a fabulous host. I guess we have this mutual admiration going on. It's very entertaining and informative. So I highly recommend checking out his podcast and subscribing. And he's also the author of a new book, Bet on You. And he now lives in Australia with the woman of his dreams, Anna. So Laban, you have been through so many different experiences in your life, starting with, you know, growing up in a pretty dysfunctional home and your own parents each grew up in dysfunctional homes. So there's kind of a history there. And I know you're committed to breaking that cycle. Tell us a little bit about your journey both some of the down times you had, as well as what were some of those pivotal moments that caused you to say, I, I need something different? Yeah, thank you, Meredith. And I, to start, in terms of my childhood, it was nothing more innocuous than being a child of divorce and being the child of a uh, mum and a dad who were really ill-equipped to esteem themselves adequately, let alone their kids. And they just did the best they could with the tools that they had available at the time. And I, I love my mum and my dad dearly, and I'm grateful for the gift of life and many other wonderful attributes that I was able to take on. Uh, in conjunction with uh, many of the <laughs> dysfunctional ones that I've had to sort of unlearn and take off. But for me, really, Meredith, it was six years ago where after bouncing along the floor of rock bottomness that I finally uh, came to a grinding halt and decided that enough was enough. And I found myself in my bedroom on a Tuesday night around midnight. I had about three bottles of red wine coursing its way through my vein and, a, and I was gambling on a horse race in a country that I wasn't in, spending money that was not mine. And I had this epiphanous moment where I was like, hmm, this isn't the life that I imagined for myself as a young man. And in that moment, there was a phone number in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen that I noticed for the first time after being on the webpage countless times before. And it was a phone number for the Gambler's Helpline. And without even thinking, I picked up my phone and I called the number. And this wonderful human being by the name of Mary picked up the phone. And it, it, I almost remember it this way. She said, hi, this is Mary. How may I save you? And, I, and although that's not what she actually said, it sort of seemed that to me. And Mary was this wonderful gambling counsellor and she'd seen it all as well. And the one thing that she said that really stuck with me was that gamblers experience suicide far greater than any of the other hedonistic addictions simply because of how quickly you can lose everything. And I was mortified at the, the prospect of that happening to me. And so with her help, I got access to a psychologist paid for by the, the taxes from poker machines or gambling losses. And for a year and a half, I got access to this wonderful gambling psychologist by the name of Lee. And in the very first session, she spoke to me about the link between coping mechanisms in children and escapism behavior as a result of growing up in a less than nurturing environment, which is just a really fancy way of saying dysfunction. And 
that day forward really triggered this journey of discovery and trying to get to the root cause of why I was exhibiting the behaviors that I was doing. And it's been a heck of a journey, Meredith, and there's been lots of ups and downs, but it's the greatest thing that I've ever done for myself. And I'm very proud to stand before you today and to share with you that a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated my fifth year of sobriety. It's longer for gambling, longer for the drugs, the philandering and the negative self-talk I've been able to whip out in the last couple of years as well. So I'm still a deeply flawed individual <laughs> and I've got a heck of a long way to go, but I'm in a, a darned better place than what I was uh, back in those, those six years ago. Well, you know, we're all flawed. So I think the fact that you are you know, willing to own that and not act like you have always had it all together. I think it makes you uh, more relatable to the people you coach, the audiences you speak in front of, because it. I think that when we can't uh, own up to or acknowledge where we have fallen short, where we have struggled, then other people think, well, they can't understand my situation where you really can. One of the things that I also was struck by in reading this early uh, draft of your book was the importance of really recognizing uh, a support system and and people around you. It, it I, I was aching for you when I read the chapter where these two friends tricked you into drinking a beverage with alcohol in it without your knowing. They thought they were being funny, but it really undermined your effort. So talk about what you learned from that experience and others about the importance of people who really support you on the journey. Yeah, well, for, for context, I'd been sober for about a month at this point. And I was invited to attend a, um, a sporting match. The New Zealand All Blacks were playing the Australian Wallabies in a, a very famous um, clash called the Blitterslow Cup up in Sydney in Australia here. And, and I was invited, ironically, to the TAB corporate box. The TAB is the major gambling organisation in Australia. So here I am. I'm, I've taken the sobriety leap. Uh, I've given up gambling and here I am like the devil <laughs> is tempting me with this thing. And I said, look, guys, I'd, I'd be honored. I'd be really grateful to come along. Just letting you know I'm not drinking and, and uh, the gambling was a bit of a non-issue. But uh, what happened in the in the pre-drinks, um, they put a couple of shots of vodka in my, in my lemon, lime and bitters. And it was, you know, and... I, and I sort of ran with it. Once I'd realized I'd been sort of tricked, I, I ran with the rest of the night and then even got drunk the next day. But it was only probably months later that I realized the insidious nature of that kind of behavior. And so I suppose to, uh, to answer your question, th those people are no longer in my life. And it's not that they are bad people inherently. You know, that we've all done silly things and, and bad things to each other. But the importance of surrounding myself with people that are going to fill my cup, not with vodka, but with abundance and support and not try and undermine me. Because I think it's a really, it's, it's a telegraphing of people's own insecurities. And when you are experiencing significant growth, uh, it's like pull or be dragged. And a lot of people want you to stay where you were. And so as a result, probably 97% of my former circle have 
you know, which was a very close knit circle of friends I no longer have anything to do with. We just simply don't have anything in common anymore. And it's really interesting, the the behaviors and witnessing some of them sort of come back into my life, um, you know, ready to play the game, ready to contribute. Uh, you know, there's many quotes about becoming that like the five people you spend the most time around. And I've become so diligent in that behavior that anyone that I feel that does not serve me well, I have no fear in cutting them. And that includes family. And it's not that I'm ringing them up and saying, guess what? You're not in my life anymore. It's just like, these are my boundaries. You know, you want to play the game? You got to, you got to um, contribute and we're going to lift each other up. So I'm not sure whether that answers your question specifically, but uh... well, it does because uh, you know I think sometimes we we feel responsible to maintain relationships, and yet what I admire about you is recognizing as you grow, it's like you expand, and so there are some people that can expand with you, while others don't see the possibilities anymore that you see. And so it's just not a good fit anymore. And so I'm curious, what are the things you've discovered? What are sort of the criteria that you have found, the qualities in others that you admire, you either aspire to, or you want to spend more time around people? What are the, what is it that they have that you um, appreciate and value? Honesty. I want. I want the truth. I, I've. I've been a truth seeker my whole life, as it turns out, and so that I can make an informed decision, I want to know the truth. And it can be a tricky one because I've become really good at owning all of my demons and being very public with all of my my struggles. And I realise not everyone's at that point. I'm not expecting everyone to be as vulnerable and to own everything as much as I have, but if you, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, the the people listening understand where I'm coming from. I I want an authentic relationship. It's really important to me, and and I think the people that are supposed to be in your life will have no qualms doing that, because if you discover that there is some conflicting. Uh, belief or whether it be a political thing like if it's that if it's that polarizing then you'll organically be driven away you know people come to your life for a reason a season or a lifetime and and I am witnessing that day by day and the, the beautiful thing about staying true to your core beliefs is that by polarizing the people that aren't supposed to be in your life you create this wonderful space for these amazing human beings to come into your life that are that are sent by the universe with whatever you believe in and since i've been able to learn more about operating at higher vibrational frequencies you know i didn't know anything about the stuff it makes so much more sense to me now that people are dropping off you know and then intermittently coming back or coming back permanently or staying away forever so the, the more dialed into that I get, the better outcomes I get. And so I'm just going with my intuition on this. And it might, I might prove to be wrong, but I don't think so. I think intuition is a great guide. I've, I know I've learned to trust mine and listen to it a lot more. And I would love for, for you to talk about, because this ties in with your podcast and why you started it and why you called it 
what you did, become your own superhero. Give us the backstory on that. Well, my speaking career was about to launch in April 2020. And we all know what happened (laughs) in April 2020. And so I was left in a in a hardcore lockdown over here and we've we've spent more than 230 days in stage four lockdown over the last 18 months so i I needed a platform i needed to get my voice out and the the podcast just came to me in, in in a flash and the name was really based around no one's coming to save us like and and this is one of the things i learned about my childhood like you know stopping blaming mum and dad for what they did to me and start being grateful for the fact that they gave me life and forgiving them i was like you know i i want to become my own superhero why should i look up to other people that have all these attributes that i want and so that's the concept so the the guests that come on in their own manner will have attributes that that will allow other people to level up and to you know to become their own superhero really so that's the concept behind the name and and I'm interested in human beings I love I've become an insatiable learner and I've I've pounded through close to 500 books in the last four and a half years plus countless hours of podcasts and articles and, and a bunch of other stuff and I have a thirst for knowledge and surrounding myself with people that are further along the journey than I in different fields. So that's really the the premise for the podcast. And it's accidentally been the greatest thing I've ever done for myself, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Well, I can. And one of the things I want to go deeper on, because in our very first conversation, and by the way, I forgot at the beginning of the podcast to thank Joe Perone, our mutual wonderful friend who introduced the two of us. In our very first call, I remember thinking, wow, this guy is fearless. You reached out to so many, what we would think of as celebrities, right? Like Jack Canfield. And you just, it was this passion you had, this belief in the value in what you did. And I think some of my listeners could really benefit from hearing you describe what kind of thinking what kind of approach, attitude, mindset did you have about contacting some of your early celebrity guests before you even had demonstrated success as a podcast host? I love that story. So it, it, the genesis really started, my, you know, my background for 13 years was as a technology recruitment consultant, something I fell into and I was inadvertently okay at it for something that I wasn't super passionate about. And so I, at the start of 2019, I decided to go out on my own. And it ended up being 12 months of the most unmitigated disaster financially <laughs> that you could ever imagine. And I use that term for effect only because it ended up being a huge blessing in disguise. But towards the back end, out of sheer desperation, I started reaching out to CEOs to try and bypass the complex levels of HR departments so that I could get engagements with these companies. And I was able to have a a few really great conversations with these CEOs of relatively small size companies. But I was like, well, hang on a second. You know, these people are talking to me like I'm at their pit, you know, at their level. And so on the 2nd of January, 2020, long before I had a book, long before I had a podcast, long before I even knew what the heck I was doing, right? I called up Brene Brown and she picked up the phone and 
I said the following. She said, hi, this is Brene speaking. And I said, Brene Brown, I stood up. I said, it's Laban Ditchburn from Melbourne, Australia here. She said, well, hi, Laban, how can I help you? And I said, Brene, I've been instructed by all my mentors to surround myself with people that are much further along the line than I. And I was calling up to see whether you'd be, be interested in, in sharing some ideas. And now this was New Year's Day in Texas, where she was in the evening. And she said, well, Layman, uh, thank you for your call. I'm about to sit down and have New Year's Day dinner with my family. But if you'd write an email and be so kind, I'll come back to you. And so I, I wrote an email explaining who I was, created a little one minute video that I linked to a, a hidden thing on YouTube. And a couple of days later, she responded. And she said the most beautiful rejection letter ever. She said, Laban, thank you for your email. With what I have going on with family and university right now, I cannot give this the attention that it deserves. You will do fantastically, Brene. And, and what happened in that moment, Meredith, was the most extraordinary thing because I had just been acknowledged by someone who was a hero of mine, but to many people. And, and I was like, hmm. And so when the podcast was created, I had this innate fearlessness of reaching out because what was the worst that was going to happen? And the rest, they say, is history. So who was the first person that you got before you really had an audience or a following? So the, the, the breakthrough guest would absolutely have to be Les Brown, the motivational speaker, Les Brown. Les, yeah. And, and, and I do not want to diminish any of the amazing former guests that I had, many of whom are professional speakers as well over here in Australia. Um, they, they were all so generous with, with their contributions. But the, it was the, the interview with Les that really set the world on fire because before we even started recording the podcast, I asked him when he came on, I said, Les, what do you think of the name of the show? And he was so warm and lovely for anyone that knows the way Les speaks. He's largely regarded as one of the greatest motivational speakers, living or dead. And and I was so endeared by his wonderful response that I just intuitively, verbally diarrheaed my story of transformation to him. And he patiently listened for seven minutes. And he just said at the end, he said, congratulations, Lave. And I said, thank you, Les. And he said, do you have a book? And I said, no, I don't, Liz. He said, well, if you're going to be a speaker, Lady, you need a book for credibility. And then he went through and he asked me who the most influential person in my life was at five years of age. And I thought about it for a minute and I was like, despite her many, many flaws, it'd be my mum. And he said, what attributes did you get from your mother? And I was saying, she was tenacious and she was spiritual and unconditionally loving and reeling off these, these attributes. And he's writing this down and he looks up at me and he says, Laban, this is a God moment. He says, I'm going to show you how to monetize your passion. And then he read back to me the blueprint for this book, Bet On You, that he came up with the title for. And he said, Laban, you're going to write this book. You're going to turn this book into a keynote. You're going to turn this keynote into a three-day retreat. And he said, even if you muck this up, you're going to make 200K in the next 12 months. And then he said, and I'm going to write the foreword for your book. Now, this was mid-May in 2020. I never finished high school. 
I never went to university. I'd never taken a creative writing course or written anything more than a bit of a stand-up comedy bit when I was a few years earlier for, for amateur comedy. And I said, Les, if you're going to write the foreword for my book, I'll have it to you by June 30 of last year. So in six weeks, I punched out 30,000-odd words of bet on you and delivered it to his inbox at 8.30 p.m. on June 30, 2020, and my life changed forever in the process. That's such a great story. And, you know, this whole thing of being fearless, I think, is such a great lesson because the stories we can tell ourselves about what's possible or not can just rule our actions. And I was thinking about your the strength you've gained personally as you've overcome each addiction as, you know, one at a time. And I was just thinking for someone who may be struggling with their own addiction, what are some words of um, support, guidance that you might provide to them? Be kind to yourself. Treat yourself like someone you really care about. This, this whole six years it's, I mean, it's longer, but the really the crux of really when it started officially, I suppose, has been the most tumultuous period of my life, but in the most blessed way. And I don't want to throw too many cliche quotes out there, but really like the journey of a thousand miles or 10,000 miles in this case starts with a single step. And you've just got to ask for help. And like Les Brown says, ask for help so that you can remain strong, not so that you appear weak. And all throughout my journey, I have asked for help. In, in order for the balance of the universe to exist, people need to be allowed to give. So we must be allowed to receive. And I think that's a really important thing. You're not burdening someone by asking them for help. If they are good at setting clear boundaries and they are competent in what they do, you are doing them a huge service so that now I can pass on this information to other people. And that's why the podcast and the book and chatting to random people in the street about my experiences become really important because I understand the value of sharing this information and passing it, passing it down forward. Mm -hmm. I love what you started with, which is being kind to yourself because I think not just for an addiction, but for if we have these expectations for ourselves and whether it's a financial goal or a health goal or whatever it might be, when we fall short, that's when we start with the criticisms and the judgments and, oh, you never do this. You never stick with that. And so what are, what are some strategies you've learned for getting past that negative self-talk when it wants to kick in. So it's a, that's a really brilliant point. And I'm glad you reminded me, Meredith, because self negative self-talk, in my humble opinion, is some of the worst behavior that us humans can exhibit. I, I am 99.99 repeating diligent on this elimina elimination of negative self-talk. And what it does in my own experience at least, is not only do you start treating yourself better inherently because you just don't say bad things about yourself anymore, and I'm not talking about being delusional, right? But, but it also makes you hyper aware of what people around you are like. And then for me, I was like, 
everyone around me says the same negative talk about themselves. It's inherent in the UK. Australia and New Zealand really suffer from tall poppy syndrome. I know in the US, people are a little bit more verbose and uh, can certainly be a bit more confident in the way they talk. But if you can do something as simple as this, right? And this was a tip from Jack Canfield. He said, instead of getting a swear jar in your house, get a negative self-talk jar. And every time you say something bad about yourself, put a dollar in it. You know, become really consciously incompetent initially about the way that we speak to you, to ourselves and, and your life will just improve. You'll start attracting higher quality people because people that are on this journey of self-discovery, they don't want to be around negative people. No one wants to hear that you're suffering. You know, I heard a great quote recently, like 90% of people uh, don't want to hear your bad news and 10% are glad it's happening to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you know, that's such a good point. This whole idea of catching yourself, it's raising your awareness. And I what I have personally found is the better I get at how I do treat myself and how I talk to myself, the more I'm acutely aware of other people complaining or saying negative things either to themselves or about others. And it seems to me in your journey, as you've learned to have more compassion for yourself, have you found that it then has extended to other people as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, a really wonderful byproduct. I, I My tolerance has improved exponentially. My ability to empathize or to put myself in the position of other people so and when you do that uh you don't you're not as triggerable you you're way more likely to go well, maybe i don't have all the answers maybe someone else has got a valid point here and especially with what's happening in the world right now that is more important than ever because being triggered is almost become a rite of passage and it's not doing our society any favors whatsoever uh I, am i perfect Far from it, but am I way better than what I was? Heck yeah. Well, let's talk about your relationship with Anna because you're so loving and positive when you describe her, but I know that that's something else you struggled with over the years was how to form a really deep, meaningful relationship with another person, romantic relationship. So talk about some of the journey you've had to take to learn how to be a good partner? Well, as part of my journey, I was I was fat and and uh, I've lost 60 pounds of body fat and put on 30 pound of muscle over the course of that six years. And as I got slimmer and slimmer, my ability to attract, attract higher quality partners got better and better. And because of my, my work and recruitment, I got really good at vetting and asking questions. And so as a byproduct using dating apps, over the course of two years, I went on 150 first dates. So that excludes the second and third dates as well. But it ended up being about two and a half dates a week. And for the most part, they were really wonderful dates. They, 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 were, they weren't, you know, it wasn't ending up with crazy um, partners or whatever, like they were you know, fundamentally nice people. The difference was I never connected with anyone. There was no chemistry. And what I came to learn was that 
in order for me to attract the person of my dreams, I had to get to a point where I loved who I was. Because how could someone love me if I didn't? And all of that dating, I wasn't in a position to do that. And I got rid of all the apps in 2018, in like May of 2018. I wrote a list of exactly what I wanted in a partner, exactly what I wanted in in July uh, or August of 2018. And in September of 2018, I bumped into Anna in the streets of Melbourne over here and a, approached her stone cold sober. She is the most beautiful inside and out, but she's stunningly beautiful, Russian and Japanese combination. And I went up to her, Meredith, and I said, excuse me, but you are stunning. And I wondered if you'd have a drink with me one time. And we've been inseparable ever since. We've been together three years. We got engaged last year. We'll get married early next year. And and she's the woman that I knew that I wanted to meet my whole life, but was beginning to think I wouldn't. And I was 38, 38 when this happened. So for those listening that are freaking out, men and women, it's never, ever, ever too late. Oh, no, that's that's such a great story. And I'm, I know that it took a lot of work for you to get to the point where you felt you could even recognize what it would be like to have a healthy relationship. And I love that you said, you know, you had to love yourself first. And, and that in itself is, is a journey because it means accepting who you are, warts and all, And so share a little bit about what are some of the realizations you had along the way that helped you let go of some of the judgments you had and become more accepting and loving towards yourself? Yeah. And I just, something I think is really important to to make mention as well. When I was dealing with all of this addiction and dysfunction, I was a high functioning addict. I had a really good job. I had lots of friends. I paid my taxes, I turned up to work on time. So I, I don't want people to think that I was in the gutter at any point. And I think that's a, a really um, important point to, to make mention because uh, it's easy to diminish how bad things are, you know, if we've, if we've still got a job and we've still got friends and, and that kind of thing as well. But in, ter- in, term- in, term- in terms of the lessons that I've learned, forgiveness was a huge catalyst. I held so much resentment and anger towards other people in my life, particularly my mum. Uh, and then that sort of transferred onto my father. And And I interviewed a guest on the podcast, Dr. Fred Luskin, who wrote a wonderful book about forgiveness. And, and there's examples in that book where people uh, there was a Jewish man who was able to forgive the camp commander, you know, out of one of the internment camps in World War II, and a mother that forgave the man that murdered her child. And I was just like, if these people can forgive these people, surely I can forgive my mum and dad for, you know, doing the best they could. And it was that act of forgiveness that that really just freed me up and and allowed me to put some perspective on it and and to certainly look at mum and dad. They're just grown-up kids. You know, they're a direct result of what they experienced growing up. So it's up to me now to affect change. It's up for me, up to me to to break that cycle of dysfunction, that intergenerational trauma. 
And so when I started to realize that I had to take ownership and responsibility for all of my actions, then and only then, Meredith, I was able to really progress, progress forward and, and, uh, and to make much greater impact. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you also invested time in forgiving yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's really easy to write down lists or think of lists of the bad stuff you've done in your life. And uh, it doesn't serve us well to hold on to any of that at all, no matter what you've done. And um, I, you know, owning everything that I've done, especially the naughty stuff, has allowed me to take back power. I've taken back control. I'm not, I'm not relying on other people to esteem me now, which, which doesn't work. Uh, you know, I was a validation seeker for a long time. I used to, you know, self-deprecate to get people to like me. And now, me being me, if you don't like me, you know what? What people think of me is none of my business. <laughs> yes, that's a great, a great approach. And so share one thing that you do today when if you catch yourself starting to criticize yourself or judge or feel guilt or shame, because I think those are two of the elements that really can bog us down and, and keep us in a negative state. What are some things you do today to move more quickly out of those potential negative states into a more positive one? I'm, I'm, I would say I'm very disciplined with the negative self-talk, but shame is certainly something that still creeps in from time to time. You know, like there's still plenty of work that needs to be done in my life for my own goals and hopes and dreams and uh, particularly around money. And that's, you know, it took such a back seat throughout the course of the transformation because if I didn't address the other things, I'd be dead anyway and money wouldn't have mattered. And so, you know, in terms of creating abundance and being able to help others through my own, you know, generosity, that's a really important thing for me. And, and I know, I know well, it is coming. Uh, but in terms of addressing shame, if, if I'm able to just, like I, I run a lot, I'm a distance runner and running is my meditation. Some people lie in bed and do their thing. I, running for me is, is a really important part of that thinking process. So I'll, I'll try and compartmentalize and just go, well, what, well how, why am I feeling like this? And if I can't, if I can't get a solution, I'll find some resources that'll help me. So I'll read a book. I'll bring on a guest who specializes in that, or I'll talk to someone about it. And I, I really find huge benefit in sharing unabashed my situation. I don't, you know, you got, you got to kind of pick who you share it with. And that's, you know, that importance of being around people that are going to lift you up. But you get dialed into that. And, and Anna, my darling Anna, uh, is the most you know, level-headed person I know. She's the strongest person I know as well. And she's a great resource for me as well. So find find your person or find someone that can at least listen without judgment. Mm-hmm. That's so, so important, especially when we're in a place where we're being hard on ourselves and we need to break through that thinking. Laban, you shared so many great nuggets. I just admire you so much that the, the work you have done in your journey to not just sobriety, health, emotional, mental health, 
that you now are sharing with the world. So you're doing such wonderful things. And I would love for you to tell folks how they can get a copy of your new book, Bet on You, how they can connect with you and learn more about the services you offer. Well, that name, Laban, that was mentioned earlier, if you just the website will have it, labanditchburn.com, and ditchburn is as in dig a ditch and burn. And if anyone can come up with a better analogy than that, uh, I'm open to suggestions, but in 41 years, I haven't been able to figure it out. Uh, all the links to all the podcasts and everything will be there. It'll be available across all the English-speaking Amazon platforms. And for those that enjoy my dulcet tones, I will be recording an audible version of that uh, we are in the process now of trying to flee interstate from the lockdowns in Australia here with the most extraordinary circumstance at the moment. And uh, so depending on when we can get to Queensland and I can get in a recording studio, um, but uh, it'll be out as soon as we can get it out for you. So enjoy. Yes. Uh, and I can guarantee you the audio will be fabulous because one of the conversations Laban and I had, he he read out loud to me one of the chapters, and I said, I've got to read the rest of this book. It's amazing. So that's how I got him to send me a preview copy of it. So I know that it will be of great value to folks. And again, Laban, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for shining your light so brightly in the world with the path you've walked from and the one you're walking into. I know it's going to be fantastic for everyone who gets a chance to meet you. Well, I appreciate that tremendously. And I uh, reiterate what I said at the start as well, like the the importance of sharing this, this message that you're doing and others with podcasts and this information. You really cannot go wrong if you consume this content. It's so uplifting and I always leave with far more energy than when I started. So thank you again. Thanks, Laban. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.